This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. Very good afternoon to you. Wonderful to be with you. Yes, this is Judaism 101.9, and here we are in our beautifully cool studio on a hot Wednesday afternoon. It's just gone ten past two on this beautiful afternoon, and wonderful to be in your company and to be talking to you about things Jewish in Judaism 101.9. Now, we all know that a tremendous amount of Judaism is based around learning. It's uh, not uncommon for rabbis to try and persuade people to learn. Learn Torah, come to Shiurim, be involved in Torah learning. And um, it is obviously something that is uh, the backbone of Judaism, so to speak, and Torah Judaism is the idea of knowing what the Torah says, how it says it, and what the Torah's teachings are really all about in order to be able to better ourselves better our communities, better our world, and do our job as Jews. We've got to know what it's about and therefore be able to put it into practice. And therefore the idea and the concept of learning and learning Torah particularly are of paramount importance. The whole idea of education and Jewish education are really so central to Judaism and Jewish teaching at times when Large tracts of the world were illiterate, and Jews prided themselves on the fact that they weren't, that they uh, managed to read and they managed to write and they had an intelligence and they had a uh, an intellectual capability. And perhaps it has been because of this that over the generations, um, the brains and the brain power of Jews, of Jews and of Judaism has been so well developed. Uh, thank God that um, today when we think about the tiny little land of Israel, how many brilliant inventions come out of there, how many brilliant things are uh, thought about there every single day. There is something to be said about the way that our collective and our individual brains have been molded um, by the idea of education, of learning, of teaching. Now, one of the things, one of the challenges I think that we face in uh, this day and age, of course, as probably it was always, and people keep on saying that it's so much more difficult today, um, but um, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, is the concept of um, parenting, of child rearing, of uh, bringing up your children properly and correctly. And perhaps here, too, we need to think about, as Jews, what the Torah wants us to do, how Torah tells us to bring up our children, how the Torah tells us to raise those kids, and um, the fact that this is uh, this uh, age-old wisdom um, that is so relevant and so important, and even more important perhaps today, it would be um, remiss of us if we didn't take a look at certain extremely, extremely powerful and important messages that the Torah gives us about child rearing and um, not necessarily in a very, very direct fashion. I'm not necessarily going to be focusing on um, relationships and how a uh, father talks to his son or how a mother um, talks to her child. Um, that kind of a very op- uh, open and obvious uh, type of an example, but rather to take a look at some of the perhaps more obscure, a little bit more hidden messages um, that we have within Torah and within the Torah stories, within the narrative and within 
in the teachings of Torah that are all about how to parent and how to get our children to have the kind of education that we'd be proud of from a Jewish point of view and uh, to be on this path of understanding that their task is one of not only self-betterment but betterment of their communities and of the entire world. And uh, the first message that I would like to uh, speak to you about is the message that we have right at the beginning of this week's parsha, right at the beginning of the book of Vayikra. And in fact, we're told that it is the very first thing that you should teach a child when he learns or she learns Torah. And that is that we begin the learning of Torah with the letter Aleph. Now, those of you who know anything about Torah will know that the book of Breshit, when we talk about Breshit Bara Elohim, the very first book, Genesis 1-1, is all about the creation of the world, and it starts off with Breshit Bara, in the beginning God created, and it begins with a letter Bet, base, second letter of the alphabet. The letter Aleph is the first letter, though. And we're told that when you start teaching a child Aleph Bet, when you start teaching a child the Aleph, and by the way, according to Jewish teaching, Jewish education starts way before uh, the age of six or five or five and a half or seven or whatever it is that is selected as the age of formal education. Formal education should start at age three, and we begin by teaching a child Aleph. And which Aleph do we show him? Well, there are many different traditions, but one of them is that we should show the child the Aleph that comes at the beginning of this week's Parsha, at the beginning of the book of Leviticus. Now, it's often thought about that um, we should begin teaching a child from the book of Leviticus. We should start teaching the child. Um, rather than telling him the stories about the creation of the world, we should rather get down to the practicalities. What did the Jews have to do? What did we have to do in the temple? How did we have to bring our sacrifices? What was it that we had to be involved in on a regular basis? And how did we connect in a holy and a spiritual fashion with the Almighty? This was what this book of Leviticus is actually all about, the book of Vayikra. But right at the beginning, there is the letter Aleph. And the letter Aleph is not the very first letter, but rather it is the last letter of the word Vayikra. Vayikra meaning, um, and he called, or and he called affectionately. God called out to Moshe. Vayikra el Moshe. God called to Moses. Now, we will notice if we take a look carefully at a good chumash, or you take a look certainly in the Torah itself, that the word Vayikra is famously written with a very small aleph. The aleph at the end of Ayikra, so the vav, the yud, the kuf, and the resh, are written in regular size, in the same font size, so to speak. But the last letter, the aleph, is written small. It is a diminutive letter. And why? So we're told that this was a letter about which Moshe, Moses, argued with God. He didn't want to write the word Vayikra, because the word Vayikra had the connotation of affection that God was showing towards Moshe. It was a call to him of love. It was an embracing call. And in that way, um, God was showing his affection for Moshe. But Moshe said, the people are going to say that I wrote this and that I put it in, that I said that it was with love. Let's just write the word without the Aleph, which would mean, um, and God called but uh, not the connotation of the affection. He wanted to leave the Aleph out. God insisted that the Aleph be there, but compromised and said the letter Aleph can be written small. And the letter Aleph written small, therefore, is a grand depiction of the absolute humility 
the humbleness, the humility of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses himself. Moses did not want to say about himself that God loved him more than anybody else. He was the absolute epitome of humility. And this wasn't fake. It wasn't something fraudulent, and very often humility is mistaken for weakness. This wasn't weakness at all, if we think about it. It was an argument. Moshe Rabbeinu Moses was prepared to argue with God. He was prepared to stand up to God and say, God, no, I think you're wrong here. I think this is incorrect, and it wasn't the only time that Moses did that. But it was done in a way whereby it was obvious that there wasn't one slight iota of arrogance. It was rather something that was absolutely humble, through and through, self-understood, and absolutely understood from the beginning to the end of it, that the small aleph is a connotation, is a depiction of the absolute humility of Moshe Rabbeinu of Moses. Now, what finer educational element is there than beginning a child's education by taking them to this aleph and telling them the story, showing them the smallness of the Aleph. We all like to look out for number one, or we all like to think that we are, or perhaps we like to think that we are the most important thing or things in the world. And yes, we don't, God forbid, want to impact on a child's child self-image of um, his um, ability to function in this world. We want him to have confidence and so on. But we want to teach him that if you really want to make headway, in uh, in life, if you really want to make headway in any sphere, there is one major qualification that you have to have right up front. Coming from Torah, you want to raise good children, teach them humility. Let them be humble. Don't implant in them that they, that they have an arrogance. Don't allow them to become borderline narcissistic. Don't allow them to become um, so full of themselves that there's really no place for anything or anybody else. Keep that humility. Teach them the Aleph of Ayikra. You'll be so glad you did. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elovo. We've been talking about some educational messages from Torah, some learning experiences from Torah rather than um, just sitting down and reading, learning the texts. Um, and uh, the first one, of course, that we discussed was the idea of humility conveyed by the small Aleph in the beginning of Ayikra. Second point, no less important, that I would like to uh, bring up is something that um, I once heard discussed at a parents' teachers' evening uh, many years ago at uh, the particular school that my children were attending. And um, there was a child psychologist who I thought spoke very well that evening who was there and um, leading the discussion. And um, he was talking about <coughs> behavioral uh, issues, problems within uh, the classroom, children, homework, all that sort of stuff, um, and uh, a very good overview that he gave of it. And there was a particular parent who at uh, the end asked a question and said, what happens if you have a child who just won't listen? What happens if you have a child who's just dafka and will not listen to you? And um, I remember then thinking, uh, first of all, of the bravery of this uh, psychologist because he then promptly obviously seemingly expecting that kind of a question and he launched into the following idea he said if you were um if your husband was uh, posted to a um, a job in china and um you just got the news that uh, you were going in 6 months to china um and uh, you had to start learning the language you would um try and attend some chinese courses 
you may go to or befriend to some Chinese people who could uh, teach you the fine, finer little nuances of Chinese. You maybe get some uh, tapes in those days, CDs, um, discs, whatever, download some ideas from the Internet in order to be able, <coughs> able to understand, make yourself understood, learn some easy words, perhaps pick up a dictionary um, and do all that sort of stuff. And no matter how good you were and no matter how much you learned Chinese, he said, if you... Um, spent then the next 10 years in China, um, speaking Chinese every day, making yourself understood in the stores, um, on the uh, public transport, whatever it is in your place of work, um, you would still always stick out and always be a foreigner. You would always speak Chinese as a foreigner. And obviously it applies to any other language in any other country in any other place in the world. He just happened to pick on Chinese. Well, um, where was he going with all of this? He then said... But if you compare that to a uh, two-year-old child who is raised in China, so a little two-year-old child is born in uh, Shanghai or Hong Kong or wherever else, and the parents speak Chinese to the child, by the time he is or she is two or two and a half or three years old, they can uh, speak a much more fluent Chinese, and they'll have the accent right, the word usage, the intonation, the grammar, all of that. Almost perfect. Yes, there are colloquialisms, and yes, there is street talk, but um, they'll really have a good grasp of the language. And he said, why? He said, because the best area to educate a child from everybody's point of view is in the family. The place where a child learns the most is from the parents. The parents sitting around the dinner table, the parents sitting around the breakfast table, the parents sitting in the lounge um, on the patio, at the swimming pool, um, doing the daily tasks that parents do and should do. Um, and that is where the child learns the most when it comes to speaking. They speak like their parents. They pick it up predominantly from their parents, not necessarily as much from the nursery school or from their caregivers, um, their maids and so on, but from their parents. That is the spot. That is the place where they learn the most. And they speak like their parents and they ac accent the words like their parents and they pick up their parents' intonation and their parents' ideas come and are conveyed through the language and through the way that they talk. So he said, and here was the punchline, the cruncher, he said, if um, you have a child who um, just won't listen to you, he's probably seen it in you. He's probably seen it in his parents. There is something that is wrong in the way that you are actually teaching, molding this child. He has seen that dafka behavior. He's seen that foot stomping, the throwing of the toys out the cot, as they say. He has seen that um, behavior coming through from the parents, and this is something that we have to be aware of. Torah demands, Torah commands, and wants us to set the right examples. And the best examples that we can set are in the family. We can elect to send our children to the best of all schools. We can send our children um, to uh, have the finest extra lessons, <coughs> the best education and the best sport and the best um, aerobics, uh, acrobatics, dancing, whatever else it is that you involve your children in. But your children still will learn the most from you at home. They learn the most from the home environment. That is the place where they feel the safest, or they should feel the safest. That is the place where it is the most and it should be the most nurturing. And we have to, therefore, be on our toes all the time as parents and in the attitude of parenting that we are giving our kids 
the right messages. And it's not just messages that are spoken, but rather it's messages of behavior. Um, parents and parenting is uh, something that we ourselves probably never went on a course for. We probably never went to school to learn how to do that. It is something that hopefully we saw from our parents and hopefully they saw from theirs. And when there was, when there has been a breakdown in uh, family life, we see how badly, how terribly it can impact on the life, on the future, and um, on the acumen and on the ability of the children who brought up in that kind of an environment. The breakdown of family life is fundamental. Um, you don't often hear of people saying, I cannot help my behavior because I went to a bad school. But you do often hear, yeah, I can't help my behavior because I saw ugly things in my family. And so family life and the family environment is something that we have to mold and we have to be careful is absolutely crystal clear and perfect, as perfect as we can get it for our children to grow up in. If we want to rear good kids, we've got to make sure that we have a good environment. Now, what is a good environment and how do we create it? And it's not necessarily about everything that opens and shuts. On the contrary, sometimes when we have too much of a material um, um, uh, value within the house, the children become very materialistic. They think that everything has got to do with stuff. The more accumulation of things, the better that this environment will be. That is not true. Um, very far from true. On the contrary, it can be dangerous to overload with too much stuff, with too many things, with having the latest gadgets, the latest things for children to be able to experience and play with and see and watch. All of these things can be counterproductive. What they need most of all is they need parents. What they need most of all is they need you. They need you to be there for them, and they need you to be there for them in a way whereby you understand that at every given Juncture at every action and reaction, everything that you do, whether it is about talking about um, things in the car on the way to work, whether it is about um, the way you um, talk to your respective spouse, the way you talk to your parents, the way you talk to your children, the way you talk to your um, your maid or your um, your gardening service or your electrician, children are learning all the time about behaviors. They're learning all the time about common decency, about respect, about greeting people, about um, how to treat people who um, perhaps are uh, lesser than you um, on the economic scale or perhaps um, people who are lesser, lesser than you um, even on the mental scale. They are learning all the time. They're picking up these nuances, and that is the school. This is the place where you're teaching them. And the strange thing is that if your child sees you throw your toys out the cot, well, don't be surprised if he or she imitates it. They live up to you. They want to be like you, and they're going to do exactly what they see you doing. And the strange thing is that after a while it becomes something that is so ingrained in them that they actually can't even help it. Um, I don't know about you, but very often... If we all think back, I guess there was something in our background, in our uh, upbringing and so on, that we perhaps didn't really like that our mother or father did to us, for us, about us, said to us and so on, made us feel awkward, made us feel small, um, made us feel uncomfortable. Perhaps it was um, force-feeding uh, medicine or whatever it was um, that brings back these kind of childhood memories. And yet... 
<clears throat> isn't it strange that we find ourselves doing exactly the same thing? Because that's what examples are about. That's what parenting is about. So therefore, we have to be so careful that the examples that we set are examples that we would be happy that our children would copy, that they would emulate, that they would do exactly the same. Um, and of course, you cannot tell your children to put away their cell phones at the table if you are sitting with yours. You cannot tell your children um, to use their knife and fork if they see that you don't use yours. You cannot tell your children uh, not to watch television while you're eating dinner if um, they see that you do that. And you cannot tell them to keep Shabbat if you don't, and you cannot tell them to keep kosher if you don't. And so the list goes on and on and on because the biggest house of learning, the biggest place of education, the biggest um, influence that your children are going to have on their lives is in your home and in your home environment. And parents have a huge obligation as parents from a Torah perspective, you have a huge obligation of what we call v'shinantam levanecha, which means we have to teach our children. The idea of teaching children is something that is not only thrust upon us, but it is something that is expected of us, and it's something that we are um, we need to live up to all the time, and not just in sitting down and studying with them from a book. It's not just about that. In fact, it's very little about that. The main thing is that they see that they have an example that they can follow, that they feel good, that their parents are respectful to each other, that they feel good, that they respect, that their parents are respectful to others, that they see the kind of behavior uh, towards a shopkeeper, a um, a person who's sweeping the floors, a uh, a person in the street, a beggar, whatever it is, that they see that that is what they're going to learn, and that is the behavior that they are going to carry out throughout their lives. And in fact, this is something that goes, as we say, midor lador. It goes from one generation to the next, because from one generation to ne- to the next, we can be passing on these either very very beautiful and wonderful. Uh, images and wonderful ideas of um, human behavior and Jewish behavior, or God forbid, the opposite. And we have to be so careful because our homes, our home environment, the family, this is really the place of the most um, learning, the place of the most growth, and the place of the most um, example setting that we need to do and that we can and should be doing for our children all the time. Now, if we think about it... (coughs) Throughout Torah, there are examples to follow. And once again, let's readjust our sights and take a look at the behavior patterns of Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses. Moses um, has to confront some of the most difficult things that anybody could ever have confronted. He has to walk into Pharaoh's palace. He has to tell Pharaoh that he is taking his people out of there. Isn't it amazing that throughout that um, Moses-Pharaoh encounter and experience, Moses shows the utmost respect still to the king, this tyrannical king who wants to uh, wipe out, uh, cull the Jewish uh, population growth, um, is throwing boys into the Nile, is um, a despicable, immoral kind of a character. Because he is the king, Moshe Rabbeinu still shows him respect because he is in charge. Moshe Rabbeinu still um, shows him the kind of respect that is befitting of not only another individual, but certainly of a king. And we learn so much from that, just that little idea of how children and our lives and everything is uh, taught by 
that kind of fine example. It is not just humility, as we um, expounded upon in the first segment, but it is also about example setting. Set the right examples. Give the right kind of an image for your children to be able to follow, for your grandchildren to be able to follow, for all those around you to be able to follow. And then you will know that you have got something right in this art of parenting, of teaching, and certainly for the learning for your children. Be back with you right after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elova. Well, we've been talking about learning experiences or perhaps the idea of how to be good parents, how to teach your children well, and uh, particularly taking some messages from the Torah. Well, one of the messages um, that um, is pretty obvious when it comes to parenting in Torah is the idea of kibud av va'im, the idea of respect for parents. Now, this is a strange one because when we think about kibbutz avaim or respect for parents, um, we're told that um, children need to respect their parents. So now there's this kind of mitzvah that is telling us that children must respect their parents. Well, who is going to be the enforcer of that? And the interesting thing is here I think that um, the idea of respect for parents or the mitzvah of respect for parents we know famously is within the realm of mitzvot that are between man and God rather than mitzvot that are between man and man. If we take a look at the Ten Commandments and the way that they are structured, we know that the um, mitzvot between man and man in incorporate all the things like thou shalt not steal and not to murder and not to bear false witness and so on. But the ones that are between man and God are about Shabbat, recognizing that God is the one and only, the only God. <coughs> um, and then thrown in and amongst them, we have this mitzvah of kibud avaim, respect for parents. So how and why and what is this idea of respect for parents really doing in that kind of column, in that kind of a place? Well, pretty obviously, point number one is that when children um, respect their parents, they respect God. And when they respect God, they respect their parents. So it is an obligation on parents to teach their children about God, to teach your, your children about the fact that, um, number one, there is a God who is watching over us and protects us and looks after us at all times. But number two, there is the idea of being grateful and uh, respectful of God and of his world and of everything that's within it. It is not ours. You know, um, one of the things that uh, perhaps a pet peeve of mine is um, this modern notion that um, in order to be a star of any sort, you have to have tattoos all over the place. You have to have a tattooed arm, a tattooed body, and so on. Um, to me, and yes, perhaps you're going to say a very conservative kind of a view, um, after all, I am a rabbi. Um, the idea of um, people going out to represent their country with tattoos um, that are visible to me is abhorrent. It is sending a terrible message to our children. It's sending a terrible message to the children out there, the concept of tattoos, and for one reason. And the reason is that Torah forbids it. It tells us that our bodies are not our own. They belong to God. Who am I to take this body and desecrate it in any way? Um, um, want to supposedly make it look more beautiful, although I cannot understand how tattoos make you look more beautiful. Um, the idea of 
taking the human body and tattooing it, putting all sorts of permanent marks on it, um, is something that um, is abhorrent from a Jewish point of view. And it's certainly something that um, we should understand from a, a familial point of view, from a family point of view, that um, the idea of respect for our bodies, the idea of respect for each other, the idea of respect for God's world, for the animal kingdom, <coughs> for the plant life, for pollution, for all of those things, is something that has got to do with our respect for the Almighty. When we have that respect for the Almighty correct, it is then quite easy to shift gear and say, well, we're going to have a similar respect for those who helped to bring us into the world, our parents, our mother and our father. And respect for parents, therefore, is something that is very closely related to the respect for God. Back with you after this. This is Judaism 101.9 with Rabbi Michael Katz of Elobo. So when we're talking about respect for parents, it's not just an instruction for children to respect their parents, but in fact, it is about teaching children respect all around. The idea of respect for God will promote the respect for parents. The idea then of children respecting their parents is we need to be the kind of examples that they can and that they do respect. And there is a fine art in parenting, I guess, in uh, manipulating or maneuvering yourself to make sure that you are your children's best friend, that you certainly want them to be able to come and talk to you or float on you, tell you everything and anything. And, of course, you've got to be there for them and you've got to be there with an open um, heart and mind and ear to be able to listen to their successes and their failures. And you are um, sometimes even more of a parent when you can counsel and help a child who is going through some difficulties and has some failures, no matter how old um, that child may be. That is uh, the art of parenting, not being judgmental, but rather um, counseling, helping, guiding, and giving them the right reactions um, from from you as well as the way that they should react when confronted with life's difficulties and challenges. That is one part of it. But the other part of it is the fact that there needs to be a respect. There needs to be a discipline. There needs to be um, a non-familiarity when it comes to certain things. I'll give you one simple example that the Shulchan Aruch discusses, and that is that parents should not sit the children should not sit in their parents' places at the table. There should be a an idea of the respect for a parent that, no, nobody sits in mommy or daddy's place. Um, nobody <laughs> sleeps in um, the parents' bed when they're not there, uh, etc. That sort of thing, as well as the idea that there should be some kind of respect. Yes, sounds very old-fashioned, but children should stand up when parents walk into the room, as they should with any other adults. Now, when we demand these kind of things, um, they're not very easy to come by. But when we have set that kind of example, um, so if you yourself have a parent and uh, you want to teach your children how they should respect you, you're going to show that kind of respect to your parents in front of them. Um, we often talk about it when it comes to uh, the saying of Kaddish for a parent who has, God forbid, passed on to the next world, that Kaddish should be said, and it's the idea of respect. Your children will never forget that you got up early in the morning, that you made an effort to be in shul for Kaddish three times a day for Shachrit, for Mincha, and for Mayriv. Um, in order to show them that respect, and of course, they in turn will show it to you. So respect, kibbutz avaim, is something that moves in several different directions. It is between ourselves and God, it is between children and their parents, and it's certainly between parents and their children. So 
a little bit of some of my thoughts on, uh, perhaps let's call it part one, of uh, a little bit of a guide to parenting and teaching our children well, taken from messages within the Torah on today's Judaism 101.9. I'll be back with you the same time, same place next week, um, when it will be the fast of Esther next week on Wednesday. We'll talk a little bit more about that and a little bit more about Purim, which will be coming up on next Wednesday night and Thursday. So a lot to look forward to. Hope to see you then. Um, this is Rabbi Michael Katz saying goodbye, wishing you well for the rest of the week. Have a great Shabbat up ahead and be back with you same time next week. Take care.